Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. We're in the middle. We just started a series. We're not in the middle. We just started a series of in, uh, in our sermons entitled, Then What? We talked about at Easter the idea of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means and what that applied as far as should it be understood literally or should it be understood, understood figuratively. But as we continue to move forward, one of the questions that I have wrestled with is when Jesus was no longer physically here on this earth, why didn't this Jewish sect, the followers of Jesus, why didn't they just disappear? I mean, once you remove a leader, often you will see their followers begin to just slowly break away because they are used to and they are accustomed to the center being that person. In my ministry, I have followed four long-tenured ministers, ministers that have pastored churches for 50 years to 30 years. And when during that long tenure, the identity of the church becomes that of that core leader. And when that leader leaves, it is difficult not only for the person who is leaving, but it's also difficult for the church because there's a sense of, who are we now? Subconsciously in the mind, there's a sense of, we've lost our identity because we've lost this person. And that same thing probably happened to the early followers of Jesus. They believed in what he was about. And if we are honest and we look at the evidence internally that we find in the New Testament, it becomes clear, to, at least from my view, that they believed that Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. They believed Jesus to be the Messiah in the traditional way of understanding. What that involved is they believed that Jesus, and more than likely Jesus himself believed that he would be the Messiah that he would become the king of Israel, that he would rule with power. Now, I know there's a lot of questions about that, but it seems to be that is the evidence because that is, if we're honest, that's what ended up getting him killed. That's why they put on the top of his cross, king of the Jews. That was something that was probably kept internal and Jesus didn't publicly talk about it, but within that realm, they probably, in their own closed environment, they probably talked about those things. Now, if that is the case, when Jesus was crucified, they lost everything. I mean, the Messiah, when you read the Old Testament, Without the New Testament, if you read just the Old Testament, it becomes clear that the Messiah was not supposed to die. The Messiah was to be someone who would live and rule the, the nation of Israel. That was supposed to be what would happen. 
So if they believed this about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, when he died, it was like, oh, we, did we get it wrong? Did we miss it? What happened? What shifted? The other thing that was troubling for them was how he died. He died on a cross. And I would imagine that word had come out that to die on a cross or to die on a tree was a curse, a sign that you had been cursed by God. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, 23, for the one who is hung on a tree. Now, let me just real quickly pause and share with you that I don't think the writer of Deuteronomy was referring to a cross necessarily. May have been, but the idea of being hung on a tree, the writer and somehow is talking about, mentions the following, that for the one who is hung on a tree is accursed of God. So for Jesus to be crucified meant that he was in God's disfavor. So for them, Jesus' death was the worst thing that could have happened. Now who were they? Should they quit? Could they admit to themselves that they were wrong? Kind of pack up shop, go home? That's the quandary they found themselves in after Jesus' death until the resurrection. Now again, as we have discussed, how we understand the resurrection becomes complex. It's something that is more challenging to understand. I personally do not believe that Jesus was resuscitated, that the body he had before, somehow that was resuscitated, and he once again resumed that body. More than likely, I tend to focus on two possibilities. One would be that he was able to appear in some recognizable form in some type of body. Maybe not a physical body, but something that would make them recognizable. The other possibility, the one that I tend to lean toward, and I may be wrong, but the one I tend to lean for is that they had a vision. Again, when you think about a person that has died, often someone that loves and cares for them will, in their mind, or it will appear to them to be very real that they have seen that person. That person is a reality to them. So something like that happened. And more than likely, it happened to either one or two people. From the evidence we read, it seems to have been either Peter, Jesus' followers, or Mary Magdalene, or perhaps both of them. But they shared that news, and news got around very quickly that Jesus had been resurrected. And then stories begin to take place. That idea that Jesus was resurrected, that something had happened, something had changed, revolutionized their understanding of Jesus. 
They had to go through difficult challenges in their mind to understand this. Because if they had believed that Jesus was this Messiah in the traditional way, nowhere did it state that the Messiah had to suffer and die. That's not in the Old Testament. That's not in the Hebrew Bible. So how were they supposed to make sense of what happened to Jesus? If Jesus had resurrected as they believed, then that was a sign that instead of being disfavored, Jesus was actually favored. That God looked down and God blessed him and brought him back to life. Now, when that happens, how are you supposed to deal with that reality? So these individuals begin to reflect upon the Hebrew Scriptures, that which they had learned. And they begin to think about it, and they said, do you remember that text in Isaiah 53? It talks about a person having to suffer and die for other people. Maybe that was referring to the Messiah. And then another one spoke up and said, well, yeah, but, and also remember Psalm 22 or Psalm 69. There it talks about the same idea that someone has to die for other people. Maybe those verses refer to Jesus. No. Maybe. Just maybe. And they begin to ponder those ideas. And then one of them spoke up in my imagination and said, yeah, but Jesus died on a cross, and whoever's hung from a tree, they're cursed by God. But if Jesus was raised by God, then he really couldn't have been cursed. He was blessed. So why did he have to die on a cross? And I, I, in my imagination, I imagine they were sitting in a group, and they were all just silent. And then all of a sudden, someone spoke up and said, Maybe he didn't, he wasn't cursed, but he died for people who had been cursed. And I imagine they went, hmm, well, who would that have been? Well, that would have been all of humanity. Jesus died for all of humanity. And they begin to ponder this and reflect on this. But then they said, well, where is Jesus now? Well, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And now he is with God in God's glory. And they begin to ponder these ideas. And all of a sudden, they saw something they had never, ever even thought about, the possibility of being true. Jesus was the Messiah, but a different kind of Messiah. Instead of being a Messiah who would rule over the Israelite nation and restore it to grandeur and power, this Messiah was more of a cosmic Messiah, a Messiah for all people. And that Messiah was in heaven right now, and he was in charge of all of the cosmos. 
And someday, Jesus, the Messiah, would return. This took time for them to begin to reflect and develop these ideas. This new understanding of Jesus was all because they believed that he had appeared to someone or someones after his death. And because of that, they had to shift their whole ideas of thinking. Many scholars believe that these early followers of Jesus, they would be what we call a Jewish sect. All of their ideas were rooted in Judaism because they were Jews. But they had to take those ideas and give them new meaning. Now, one of the characteristics of a sect is that you share your ideas with other people. It's an obligation. It's the only way you're going to grow. You have to share your ideas with other people. So who are they going to share it to? Well, the people they know. Who are the people they know? Other Jews. So they would take these ideas, these new ideas of who Jesus was and who he is, and start sharing it to other people. We know what that's like today. People of different religions, and but especially Christianity, feel obligated to share their ideas with other people, whether they like to hear it or not. Well, that's what these original followers of Jesus did. They started sharing their ideas with other people, other Jews. And there were some people that agreed with them. Now, here's what's interesting, is who they shared these ideas with were primarily men. Why? Well, the men in that time were in charge of the household. So that's who you talked with. You shared these ideas with other Jews, especially other male Jews. You would share these ideas, and if they agreed with you, then the whole house was converted. So unfortunately, ladies, children, you didn't have much of a say. You just kind of like, dad came home or your husband came home and said, guess what, folks? We're going to follow Jesus now. You didn't go, oh, um, wait, wait, wait a minute, I have questions. No, you just happened, you just did it. It's what was required of you. That's one of the reasons why they had so rapid growth. Now, it's not a practice we're going to start here at Church of the Beatitudes. But it worked. Now, there were other Jews that heard this and went, um, 
I don't know. Let me have time to think about it. And they had a lot of questions, and maybe they were cautious. And, but eventually they came along. But the vast majority of Jews, the vast majority of them, rejected this new idea. We can see that idea in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew has Jesus say something. The writer takes a reality in his time and takes it and puts it back in, into the mouth of Jesus. And has Jesus say the following. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. That's a quote from the Hebrew Bible. So this writer, the Gospel of Matthew, has Jesus use an Old Testament text and apply it to himself. And then the writer has Jesus say, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. Well, who's this cornerstone? It's Jesus so for all those Jews who rejected Jesus as they now understood him, well, <laughs> they're in trouble. They're going to H-E double hockey stick. There's the in-group, the followers of Jesus, and then there's the out-group. And anyone who rejected their new understanding they saw as lost. This same idea is a prevalent today. There's a website called blueletterbible.com, and the writer says the following, though there were many factors that led the Jewish people to reject Jesus as their Messiah. It can be stated simply, they did not believe in him. Why? Because they did not want to believe. My response to that, hogwash. Why? The reason they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah was because he didn't fit the criteria. They came, the, the followers of Jesus came up with this brand new criteria and said, this is the Messiah. And those that were over here, tradition and the proper reading of the Bible, they looked at this new understanding and go, you know what? We're not having no conspiracy theories here. None. That's why this time was so difficult, because you had within the Jewish community two groups of people who saw things differently. 
And when they saw things differently, they began to oppose each other. The majority of the Jews started ostracizing this new movement. And the new movement, because there were so few of them, eh, what are they going to do? They couldn't physically respond, so instead they verbally responded and said, well, guess what? You're no longer God's favorites. We are. Na, 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 na. Because you don't believe it the way we do, you're not a part of us, and you're not part of God anymore. So take that. Does this in any way sound like our society today? We see it in Christianity. I don't know about you, but I see it even outside of Christianity. When people have ideas that oppose each other, when they have beliefs that are different than each other, It colors how they see each other. Just flip on the news and watch it. Look what's going on in front of the Supreme Court right now. We have people yelling at each other because they have different ideas. And it's nothing new. It's been a part of humanity for literally millennial. That when people disagree with each other, they have different ideas from each other, then they tend to want to push those people away. So how can we respond in a more favorable way? When you meet either another Christian that believes differently than you do, when you believe another person, when you meet another person who politically believes different than you, when you believe someone, meet someone who has a different view on gender identity, critical race theory, abortion, I mean, the list continues on, folks, right? When you have this kind of differences in beliefs, instead of becoming more and more polarized, how do we somehow begin to come together again as a society and also even just as Christians? I offer you three possibilities to practice. Number one, tolerate other people's ideas. I don't know about you, but this one's really, really a struggle for me. There have been so many times I've read an article or I've read a book or I've talked to someone and I shake my head and go, how in the world can they believe that? They can't be that dumb. And it immediately separates us. What I'm asking us to consider doing and asking myself first is tolerate people who see things differently than us. To not be so critical to and push them away 
because their ideas and their beliefs are different than ours. Number two, when it is productive, enter into dialogue with other people that you disagree with. Now, notice I qualified that. When it is productive, when it can be fruitful, there are times when you will waste all your good breath by talking to people because there's just no possibility of a true conversation taking place. And by true conversation, we understand that it's both listening and sharing. So when we find ourselves with another person who disagrees with us, let us, if they are willing, to enter into conversation with them, and we will listen to them. Someone challenged me one time. They said, Tony, when you meet someone who disagrees with you, they don't have to always be in person. The person could be on a piece of paper. It could be an article you're reading. It could be a book you're reading. It could be someone you're watching on TV or YouTube, something out there. These ideas that are different than you. They said true listening is the ability to listen in such a way that if asked, you could explain back to them what they're trying to say. Now that's harder than what we want. If we're honest, that's really hard. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a conversation sometimes with someone, yes, I'm hearing what they're saying. This part of the brain is hearing it. The other side of my brain is going, okay, now how am I gonna counter this? What could I say to, to, to somehow dismiss this idea? I'm already planning what I'm going to say next. But to truly listen means I am so trying to understand them. So if someone has a different view of migration or someone has a different view about the climate than I do, I really try to understand what they're saying. But then I must also have the courage to share what I believe. I think a lot of us have this idea that if we share what we believe with other people, that that's somehow going to create conflict. Well, if it does, then that conversation probably should never have taken place because that's not a productive conversation. But if you truly listen, there's a really good chance, and they feel like they've been listened to, they also will more than likely be willing to listen to you. Wow. No more of this. Some of this. And then number three. Be willing to adapt and change. Be willing to admit, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. And I might need to change or adapt my ideas. 
That's hard, folks. Because what the way you believe right now is giving you a certain amount of security and comfort. I know it does me. But if you're willing to adapt and change, that can be scary. But that's how we grow. When I look back and I read about what people say about Jesus, their ideas about Jesus, I think Jesus was a person who captured those three ideas. He tolerated other people's ideas. He was in conversation with others. How many times did he say that he would eat with other people? I imagine they sat around the table and talked and shared ideas. And then I think you have a Jesus who was willing to adapt. And then after his death, things changed. And for the sake of growth and preservation, the followers of Jesus slowly begin to move away. And when they did that, they pushed the others away. And we've been pushing people away ever since. Maybe it's time to stop that. Maybe it's time we learned as a society to truly come together. They're just ideas. They're just beliefs. We as human beings are far more than that. I hope you will rise up to the challenge and stretch yourself to grow and to listen to other people's ideas. Be a part of the solution. I am, and I want to be. I hope you will join me. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.